All right, let's continue cracking the code of Funeral in Berlin and see if Len Dayton's spy, Harry Palmer, can get the defector stock out and see exactly whose funeral it is. Let's go. Hi, this is Tom Pizzotto. And Dan Silvestri. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Today we're finishing up our Cracking the Code of Funeral in Berlin. Please give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. That helps us a lot. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and on Instagram, too. We left off part one with the Russian Colonel Stock talking to Harry Palmer about defecting and demanding a professional like Otto Kreutzmann should be the man who orchestrates the escape and that Harry should work with Kreutzmann to get this done. Harry agrees to find Kreutzmann. So Palmer heads back to the Berlin Hotel in West Berlin, where he meets Vulcan, who is with a woman named Monica. Monica looks over Palmer and says, I like England. And Palmer looks at her sexily and says, England likes you. <laughs> cool. He's so sly. <laughs> he is. Vulcan can arrange a meeting between Palmer and Kreutzmann. So they plan that. As he is walking out of the hotel to get a taxi, he walks past another beautiful woman who's on the phone. And he turns as he walks to look her over. <laughs> Up and yeah, down. Yeah, he's not exactly inconspicuous when he, when he checks out a woman. Yeah. And he gets in the taxi and she runs out and says, hey, you know, that's my taxi. I called for it. And they end up riding together. She says her name is Samantha Steele. Her voice was dubbed by Nikki Vanderzeel. And Nikki also dubbed Honey Rider and Sylvia Trench in Dr. No. And she voiced Domino in Thunderball. I think she dubbed all the female voices actually in Dr. No, except for Miss Taro and Money Penny. And I think in Goldfinger, she was a dialogue coach for Gert Froba. Yeah, and she made almost nothing doing that, which was kind of sad. But anyways, there's this whole taxi thing where she's coming saying, hey, you're taking my taxi. Yeah, we also have to remember in Dr. No, which preceded this movie, yeah. when Bond gets to the airport and he's walking out and there's two flight attendants with him and he walks and they kind of fight over the cab and Bond backs off and lets the ladies take the cab. Here, Palmer backs off when Samantha says, hey, that's my cab, I called for it. And she, in this case, unlike the, the flight attendants in Dr. No, she says, well, where are you going? I can drop you off. All right, so they're in the cab, and she suggests that she'll take them to a party, but first they go to her place together. She changes while he pours a couple of whiskeys, and he snoops around suspiciously at papers and finds a wall safe behind a bureau. She's talking about having been married in Israel, and he grunts, and she asks if he is an anti-Semite. He says, no, just anti-husband. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is not Bond-like. Remember when Vesper and Bond are in the car and they are supposed to share a room together and she's fussing and asks, am I going to have a problem with you, Bond? He says, don't worry, you're not my type. And she says, smart. And Bond says, no, single. <laughs> All right, Bond-like so married women. He, yeah, I was going to say, he likes them married. It makes it less complicated. Yeah. Now, this scene also brought me back to the movie Three Days of the Condor, which uh, came out afterwards. Mm -hmm. And in Condor, Turner goes back to Kathy's apartment. Now, she was truly a civilian, unlike what we end up finding out about Samantha. However, both Turner and Condor 
and Palmer and Funeral hang out with a woman they had just met in her apartment trying to lay low. After Palmer leaves Samantha, he goes to a friend to find out about her. This Reinhardt guy that he goes to knows Palmer, ah, Colonel Palmer, and he makes reference to him being so crooked that they had to put him in intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, He asks him about Otto Ruckel, the housebreaker, and if he's out of jail. Ah, He's suspicious as to why Samantha picked him up. Yeah, he says says something like, Am I that attractive or yeah. something like that? Yeah, his great looks or something, yeah. yeah. So he phones Samantha, and the camera shows that she's with two other guys. They ask, does he suspect you? Ah, now we're wondering what the heck's going on with her. Palmer's a good spy. He doesn't trust anybody. He doesn't trust Stock. He doesn't trust Samantha. So he does meet up with Samantha, and when they return back to her place, her place is ransacked, burgled, as he says. Pearls are missing. She secretly checks the safe behind the bureau while he's mixing two drinks to make sure it's still locked. Is she the enemy? We're wondering now what's going on. Then she kisses Palmer. Yeah, and who knows what else happened after that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have an idea. <laughs> All right. When he goes back to his room, it's ransacked. Uh, she's good too, whoever she is. There's a guy in a chair. Turns out to be Otto Ruckel. He's the guy that Palmer asked Reinhardt about. Yeah, the housebreaker. And he's the one who ransacked Samantha's place. He got into the safe, which had a book, he says, with names, addresses, and how much money each has. He photographed this diary. He tells Palmer that she gets $300 a week from the discount bank in Geneva has a U.S. passport in the name of Samantha Steele, an Austrian passport in the name of Anna Stein, and an Israeli passport in the name of Hannah Stahl. Wow. <laughs> yeah, lists of men's names, addresses, and so on. Palmer says, in the wall safe? Yes, in a diary, he says. Names and addresses and how much money they've got and not one less than a million marks. Palmer pays him for the film. Who is she, really? Who is this Samantha? Yeah, so his suspicions are definitely confirmed that something's up. Something's up, and it's big. So we said earlier that that Palmer needs to meet Kreutzmann, so Vulcan sets it up where he says Kreutzmann's going to meet Palmer tonight at 11 o'clock at this club called Chenu. Yeah. And he comes with Samantha to meet Vulcan and Vulcan's woman. But the, the club is actually like a drag club. There are guys dressed as women. Yeah. Palmer's told he has a phone call. No one's on the line. But one of the drag queens tells him to talk to the man with the green carnation. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> See the man with the green carnation. He sees him. The carnation guy exits the club, yeah. and Palmer follows him. The carnation guy disappears, and a car pulls up with three guys. And Palmer slash Demendorf must get in the car. Arthur is in the car with Werner. Someone else is driving. These are apparently Kreutzmann's guys. One asks a lot of questions about the guy they need to get out. Remember, they're going to be getting somebody out of the country. Is he dead or alive? Is he willing? Is he conscious? How old is this guy? They settle on a price of 60,000. Was it dollars? Of 60,000. No negotiation. No, it's 60,000. I think the equivalent of $60,000 was negotiated down from 100,000, I believe. Okay. Yeah. 
The man says Dorf Palmer must provide documents answering to this description as they hand him a piece of paper. As he exits the vehicle, Palmer says to the driver, Good night, Mr. Kreutzmann. To which the driver says, Good night, Mr. Palmer. <laughs> Remember, he didn't know who it was really Kreutzmann at first. Right. He surmised that. And Kreutzmann was told this guy's name was Dorf, but yeah. he knew it was Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, ridiculous. they're both smart. So now you got a battle of wits here. Absolutely. Yeah. And like in a lot of Bond films, they know his name. Yeah, they know his name. Yeah. James Bond, Harry Palmer, whatever. Now, Kreutzmann's another one of these characters who I, I just love the actor, right? It's Gunter Meissner. And he often plays these really creepy guys. And in 1966, a month before Funeral was released, he was also in The Quiller Memorandum, which is another good spy movie. Mm-hmm. Every time I see him, I think of the word evil. <laughs> and it's probably because for me, I first got exposed to him when I was nine, I think. He was playing Slugworth in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and when I saw him in this movie, in Funeral in Berlin, it instantly brought me back to this guy, to that movie, and was like, this guy's evil. Yeah. Anyway, Stock is to meet Palmer at the 59 address again. That's where they had first met. And Palmer, of course, is like, this is a waste of time. Yeah, Palmer's still thinking, nah, this, this guy's bluffing. And to Palmer's surprise, Stock is there. <laughs> <laughs> so Palmer has to say to him, eh, it's off for tonight, because it was never set up for tonight. And Stock showed up, which, again, surprised Palmer. So maybe Stock is sincere. Maybe Palmer's wrong. Palmer turns as he's walking away and says, admit, I scared you, Russian. (laughs) 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 Referring to Stock's quip to to him when they first met. Again, bringing these quips back. I I just love that. Admit, I scared you, Russian. That's good. All right. So anyway, boom. Palmer flies out of West Berlin and back to London. And Ross is not too pleased. Go back to Berlin, he says. If you need a pistol, go see Babcock. So he does go see Babcock. And when he walks in to Babcock's office, you cannot help but to think this is a money penny scenario. He tells Babcock, if he thinks I need a pistol, I need a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> That's another good line. Babcock says, I'd be happy to give you one. <laughs> Who is Samantha Steele? She asks him boldly, <laughs> having read his report. He flirts with her a little bit, again, much like Bond and Money Penny. Don Connery, especially with Money Penny. Palmer tells her, I can make it tonight, meaning he can make it with her tonight and meeting her and so on. But he's, <laughs> he's interrupted by another woman who says he's going back to Berlin tonight at 11. <laughs> so he gets the 60,000 yeah, tickets. Yeah, he gets this He gets this from Alice. Alice. Now, she was in... In the Epcot file. Yeah. She's played by Frida Bamford. And she's another one of these characters. I mean, the, the characters in these movies are fabulous. Yeah. I mean, it's really a totally unbond like scene with him and her. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, it's not a money penny thing with her like he had with Babcock. This is really no. him. And she's always got a cigarette in her mouth. It's um, always hanging off her lips while she's talking. Yeah. And no, <laughs> no offense to her. She's doesn't look like a Bond girl. No. But she's got this stack of bills <laughs> wrapped up, totaling $60,000. There's no envelope, no briefcase with the money in it. Just here's a wad of cash. Yeah. Here's sixty grand. It's a short scene, absolutely fantastic. 
And I, I totally love Alice. Yeah, she's a great character. She was a great character in The Ipcrest File as well. And she's just perfect in this scenario here. Yeah, and you don't see her in um, that type of character in almost any other mo- spy movie. No. Know, which is, which is kind of nice. It's a unique twist because you just don't see that type of person in, in these movies. Yeah, and Hallam is there. He gives Palmer the documents that the body movers demanded, that he gets documents to match that description that they said including a passport, credit card, driver's license, and so on, with the name of, on the envelope that says Paul Louis Broom. Wow. Paul Louis Broom. That's an important name to remember. Yeah, Paul Louis Broom. Chico meets him at the airport with all the photos from the Samantha Steele documents that Otto Ruckel photographed as he ransacked her place. He notices that Paul Louis Broom is on the list with two million next to his name he calls Hallam to make sure this guy is dead and Hallam says yeah he's dead what's going on here I mean it is confusing at this point it is it's like what the hell now you see this name in two different places and now we're totally confused so back in Berlin he shows up unannounced at Samantha's place and surprises her with pearls remember her pearls she said were stolen when her place got ransacked. He opens a briefcase and the envelope with Paul Louis Broom's name is visible. They both know now that they had each other's place ransacked. <laughs> she asks, what is your interest in Paul Louis Broom? None at all, he replies. She explains that he is on her wanted list. Israeli intelligence. Ah. ah. She wants to prevent Nazis from cashing in on accounts in Switzerland that have money stolen by the Germans from the Jews. She wants the documents he has on Broom because I'm in love with you, she says. (laughs) Wow, really? If you can believe that. Yes, Mr. Bond. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, back to Palmer. (laughs) He just looks at her. Not a word. Broom represents $2 million to us. We have to get those papers. I love it. Even if we have to kill you for them. I love you. <laughs> Even if yeah. we have to kill you for them. Uh, the papers, I love you, but not that much. <laughs> the papers will identify the man as a Nazi, and therefore the Israelis will be able to recover the money. That's the plan from her side, Samantha's side, as an Israeli intelligence officer. He leaves. He meets up again with Reinhardt. Yeah, now Reinhardt complains to Palmer... At one point, talking about MI5 and the Duziem Bureau. Now, this is the French equivalent of MI5, and it actually plays a prominent role in that terrible Casino Royale spoof from 1967. Some people love that movie. It's a terrible movie. (laughs) Yeah. Harry wants to know if old man Klaus, the forger, is still alive. So now this is, he's asking Reinhardt for another bad guy. Yeah. First we had the housebreaker. Yeah. Rugel. Now we've got old man Klaus, the forger. And then he goes to meet with Kreutzmann. He pays half the money to get stock out. He'll give him the rest later and documentation delivery after the client is out of East Berlin. They will meet again on the rooftop tomorrow to get the full details of the plan. Now this meeting is on top of an observation deck on the Mercedes-Benz building there. And Palmer's looking through a telescope across the wall. We don't see too many telescopes in many spy movies. We talked about that in The Silent Enemy. Yeah. We see it in Goldfinger, Octopussy, Never Say Never Again. 
Moonraker, Bourne Ultimatum. There's not that many movies out there that have spies using telescopes, and this is one of them. Yeah, you can see telescopic sights on rifles and stuff, but not an exact telescope. Right. Kreutzmann, with two other guys, go up to some old man's place. Yeah, this is not old man Klaus the Forger. But they smother this guy to death. His body, apparently, will be used as the plan to get stock out. Now, this Kreutzmann guy is... is he has no he has no morals, no values. He's he's in it in it for the money, he's in it for himself. So they they're gonna kill this guy because they need a body. And he's easy. He's old. So he then meets Palmer and the plan has begun and Kreutzmann says, My plans never fail. Yeah, that sounds a little like Dr. No, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. My plans never fail. That's telling you yeah. my plan is going to fail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might be a hint. Yes. Then Palmer meets with Stock and says, the plan is for tomorrow. What is the plan? Do we know it yet? Not yet, but we will. Hey, remember this movie is called Funeral in Berlin. Yeah. So the plan is all about a very expensive funeral, <laughs> according to Palmer. So we're in 1966, faking the death of Colonel Stock so they can get him out of East Berlin. He's dead. We smuggle the body out. Now, we've seen fake deaths before. In Secret Agent, we had the fake death of Ashington in 1936. Yep. And, of course, a little bit later in You Only Live Twice in 1967. And we had Pushkin's fake death in The Living Daylights in 87. Yeah. Well, here they put a body in the coffin, which is a flashback to Palmer telling Babcock, if he thinks I need a gun, I need a coffin. Yeah. See, again, nice, nice little tieback. Yeah. It's just It's all over the place here, which is great. Well, that was actually foreshadowing the way the body movers are going to get stock out of East Berlin. So the docs certified that the man, who is the old man they suffocated, is dead. Mm-hmm. And they carry him out of the morgue, put him in a hearse, and drive to the checkpoint at the middle of the bridge. On the way there, they knock out the guard in the front seat, and an identical hearse waits down the road. And they hand the papers from one hearse that left the morgue to those people in the second hearse. This is a classic brush pass, which we see in many spy movies, where information is passed from one person to another as they pass. Kind of a drop. It's often hard to see what happened, which is why it's a common spy technique in real life. It's a very common move. Yeah. One other example of this is found in Red Sparrow between a CIA agent and a Russian agent. Oftentimes, it's a bag switch with two identical bags. The take here is pretty cool by using two identical hearses, but you see this in a lot of spy movies and in real life spies do this with the dead drop and all that kind of stuff. And so we knew the old man was in the one hearse, so it's got to be stock in the second one yeah, that they, they right. switch in. And so they've, they've got the switch, they've got stock, stock in the hearse, they've got paperwork. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's a great plan. The original hearse drives through some gates and a wall and disappears, Mm -hmm. and the second one drives to the bridge. And at the bridge, the guards examine the paperwork, look into the hearse, bells are chiming, there's tension. Then they clear the paperwork, carrying the coffin to the middle of the bridge, and they set it down. There's a grieving widow and a couple of men on the other side of the bridge with another hearse. They go get the coffin, carry the coffin into the waiting hearse, and off they drive. The plan seems to be going flawlessly. Yeah. She was great, too. The lady just weeping and so on as the She as was a very was gr- grieving widow mm-hmm. as, this, as this coffin's coming in. Yeah. 
So, so, now, so now there's a showdown, but it's not the showdown. <laughs> With a hearse now in West Berlin, the widow gets paid off, and the hearse drives to where Palmer and Vulcan are waiting. Well, and I, I love it. They pay her off, and she gets out of the, the car, and the music changes. And so she had been looking like this grieving widow, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden she's got this money. The music goes kind of jazzy. And she's got this bounce in her step and kind of swing in her purse and everything. Like, there's no grieving widow here. Something's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the hearse arrives where Palmer and Vulcan are waiting. Kreutzmann's guy's drivers want the rest of the money from Palmer. Palmer's cautious. (laughs) He wants the coffin opened while he watches. He wants to make sure he's paying for the goods. Yeah, he wants to make sure he's still alive. Yeah, he said he might have suffocated in there. Yeah. So they open it. And in the coffin lies a dead Kreutzmann. <laughs> Remember, Kreutzmann said his plans always work. <laughs> Palmer has the guns on the two guys and directs Vulcan to help. Oh, wow. This is a surprise. Palmer said that this was all Stock's plan and that he didn't even know it. Stock <laughs> wanted Kreutzmann a fascist dead. Stock won. The rest of us are losers Palmer says. At that point, Vulcan is behind Palmer and yells, Look out, Harry! And simultaneously hits Palmer on the head, knocking him out. <laughs> Which is really kind of a cool little technique. It's like he's making Harry believe it's somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So but Vul- it also tells us everything we need to know about Vulcan. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've trusted Vulcan pretty much all along. And now Vulcan takes the papers and the money out of Palmer's pocket. The other two get their guns in the meantime and take the money from Vulcan and they leave. Vulcan just watches them. But wait, (laughs) two more guys show up. We gotta have another twist here. Yeah, two other guys show up. The one who had followed Palmer in the very beginning. With the big bushy mustache. with, With the bushy mustache when he first got to Berlin, Aaron Levine, and an accomplice. They see Kreutzmann dead and ask what he has to do with the broom documents. They are obviously after the documents, like Samantha was. But wait, a car drives up. It's Samantha. She picks up the documents, and Harry is now coming to in time to see all of this, and she speeds off with the two other guys. You know, Harry doesn't know that Vulcan knocked him out yet. No. And Vulcan says to him, what will you tell London? Yeah, like he's... I don't know. Let's get out of here. I have some fiction to write, answers Palmer. I can't tell him what really happened. Again, his irreverent attitude. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So they end up going to Vulcan's office, but they're arrested by two of Ross's guys. Ross says, we paid 20,000 pounds to get Kreutzmann in a coffin. He was not happy. No, he's not happy. So Palmer's suspecting Vulcan and tells Ross he thinks there's a connection between Vulcan and Paul Louis Broom. And Ross tells Palmer that Vulcan is Paul Louis Broom. He explains that Broom had killed a resistance worker in 1944 named Vulcan, and he assumed the dead guy's name. Mm -hmm. MI5 used this for their intelligence. But now Ross knows that Vulcan is in trouble and tells Palmer to kill him. Because the papers are lost, they can't keep Vulcan in their control, and they can't let him go to the highest bidder with what he knows. Palmer yells, I'm not going to kill anyone in cold blood. 
Yeah, this is a big distinction between Palmer and Bond. Bond's 00 status gives him a license to kill. Remember Bond's cold killing of Professor Dent in Dr. No, or the way he earns his 00 status in the pre-title sequence of Casino Royale. <laughs> yeah, where he kills the MI6 guy. That was his second kill. Considerable Got him his 00. Yeah. Bond and so- Palmer are very different in this regard. That's for uh, sure. Absolutely. It was, that was kind of jarring to me because you think of Palmer being the spy and, and all of that, and of course he's going to kill, and then it's like, wait a minute, I'm not killing anybody in cold blood. Yeah. Harry and Vulcan leave Ross's meeting, and they get into Vulcan's car, and now we're thinking, what's Palmer going to do? Palmer tells him to stop the car. They get out. They have a smoke. And Palmer says... Wait, 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 wait. So they're in the car together. They go to kind of a remote area. Yeah, it's, yeah. And Palmer says they have to stop the car. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be where he's going to do Vulcan in. You think that? Sure. I mean, perfect. Nice remote spot. So they get out and have a smoke. And Palmer says he's been ordered to kill him. <laughs> because, I love that. He's just so, so blunt. <laughs> because he's Paul Louis Broom. Falcon explains his father was the one who took the Israeli Jewish money. Falcon says if the Jews would not have fouled me up at the garage, everything would have worked out fine. Palmer says, I'm not going to kill you. The papers were what Falcon wanted to prove that the money in the Swiss bank was his and he would have $2 million. That's why he was going after the paperwork. So, yikes, is this the end? No. But <laughs> it's the this beginning. Is, this of, is the spy movie that will not end. It's the it's beginning. So many of the twists end. and turns. Hey, there's a lot of Bond movies where you think, okay, it's finally over. There's a, and then no, no, no. There's another no. twist. Well, here's another twist here too. So, all right. So Palmer takes a taxi to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Stock is in West Berlin, looking happy and cheerful, and he stops to talk to Palmer. Yeah, happens to be there. Yeah, so he explains that he wanted Kreitzman dead and that he had to use Palmer because only the British or the Americans would hire Kreitzman. So, I mean, he had this set up so beautifully, faking this defection. Perfect. And the goal was to get Kreitzman out of there. Yeah. Where in a way that everybody would know that it wasn't Stock who did it. Yeah. It's a great, great scene. Yeah, it really is. And again, it's Stock. I mean, Stock is just so lovable. Yeah. We see Aaron Levine, who was with Sam at the garage when they when she got the papers and Harry was looking at her when yeah, she folded the papers yeah. up. Right. So Aaron goes and opens the safe and he gets the papers out and his bell rings and it's Vulcan. He asks Aaron, why didn't you tell me you were looking for Broom? I know all about him. Well, obviously. <laughs> now we wouldn't. know that too. <laughs> <laughs> so it cuts to the next scene and Vulcan's in a museum. No, we don't know what happened to Levine. Yeah. Did Vulcan kill him? We, we don't know. Yeah, at this point, we don't know. But he meets Hallam and takes the envelope of money he took from Levine and gives some to Hallam. This is the first time now that we see that Hallam is in on this whole plot. Yeah. He kind of was a buffoony, kind of cartoonish kind of character. Now we see he was involved with this plot. Yeah. It's weird. He says that Kreutzmann is dead and... You know, who gets his share of the money now? Because they were all in on this together. Well, and he was always trying to bum a cigarette or get money for something. 
So he's always worried about the money. Who gets Kreutzmann's share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Vulcan says that he heard that the claim to his father's money in Switzerland has been approved. You just need the proof of identity. That's all he needs. Then they could be in Switzerland in 24 hours. Hallam tells Vulcan that the papers are forgeries. Forgeries? Wait a minute. (laughs) Of course, Hallam gave Palmer the real papers. So were they duplicated? And now there's forgeries replaced instead of the real papers? Ah. Yeah, I I actually had to watch this a few times to figure out where the forged papers were coming from. Uh Because if they're truly forged, Vulcan takes the papers out of Palmer's coat after he hits him in the garage. And Sam takes the papers and put them in the safe. That means before the funeral, Palmer got his hands on forgeries. But from where? We have to go back to that second conversation with Reinhardt, yeah. where he asks about old man Klaus, the forger, if he was still alive. Yeah, there you go. So what we didn't see was that Palmer had the Paul Louis Broom papers forged, and that's what he was carrying around. Yeah. Ah, another twist, which is great. All right, we just finished the beginning of the end. <laughs> now we got to move to the middle of the end. Yeah, there's a middle. All right, who's left of the key players? We have Palmer, Samantha, Hallam, Levine, and Vulcan. So you cut to Palmer checking out of his hotel, asking the clerk for the envelope that they were keeping for him. Of course, it's the envelope with the real documents with the name on it, Paul Louis Broom. Ah. He taxis to Samantha's place with a bouquet of roses. The door is open when he gets there. He enters and he sees... Aaron Levine, lying dead on the floor. Now, remember, Aaron was there getting the papers out of the safe when Vulcan showed up. And then he notices, wait a minute, someone's holding a pistol on him. And the guy holding the pistol retrieves the documents because he thought Palmer was in on trying to get a share of the $2 million. So now he's taking them from Palmer. Well, Palmer gets the better of him, and he knocks him out, and there's a little fight. So now you see Palmer back at his hotel, and there's a knock on Palmer's door. It's Hallam. (laughs) Well, will this ever end? He wants the documents, pretending to be straight here, and thinking, well, Palmer doesn't suspect him, and so he'll do whatever Hallam asks. Yeah, because Palmer's relationship with Hallam's been totally businesslike, and... Ross told me to go to him to get the papers and everything, so he's going to be on the up and up. Yeah. Well, Palmer suspects him now, and he gets the better of him, of course. And he makes him tell him that Vulcan plans on going over the wall tonight. But then Palmer says, hey, if you help me, Hallam, I'll try to keep you out of jail. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There is a plan, and Hallam divulges it. And a final showdown will take place at the wall. So you have the key players, a plan at the wall, and the documents, which are of paramount importance to both Vulcan, so he can cash in in Switzerland, and to Samantha Steele, who wants to stop the Jewish money taken by the Germans from falling into Vulcan's hand. And this final showdown will take place, but we're not going to go over that part. You've got to watch the movie to catch that. There'll be guns and knives, and papers and documents, and clothing switches, and another funeral in Berlin. After the final showdown, there's a cut to Ross's office, With Palmer, yes, Palmer is still around. There's a couple things out of this this conversation, actually, I want to kind of comment on. 
So now when Harry's in Ross's office, unlike in the Ipcrest file, Ross has a framed collection of butterflies on the wall. We must remember that this is Harry Saltzman as the producer, and he also produced On Her Majesty's Secret Service. This was the only pre-Daniel Craig Bond movie that had a shot of the interior of M's house. In On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Bond shows off his butterfly identification skills in M's library where M was mounting butterflies. So in this 1966 movie, Funeral in Berlin, we see the head of operations, Ross, showcasing lepidopterology on the wall. In the 1969 movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service, we also see the head of operations, M in this case, enjoying, and what's that word again? Lepidopterology. Yeah. I guess I'm not going to collect butterflies. (laughs) At At the very end, Ross looks out the out his window and at the end of the movie he's looking at the statue of lord nelson in trafalgar square Uh now we talked a little bit about this in our q planes podcast so our podcast on the movie q planes but there's an expression called the nelson touch nelson himself used the expression the nelson touch on more than one occasion and its origin has been the subject of debate among historians according to colin white's book nelson the admiral a favorite suggestion is that the nelson touch derives from a line in Shakespeare's Henry V, a little touch of Harry in the night, describing Mm. how the king would calm his soldiers on the eve of battle. Hmm, a little touch of Harry in the night. Harry Palmer, maybe? (laughs) That's a nice little connection. I think that's as much as we can cover in Funeral in Berlin, and we're glad you joined us. This has been Tom Pizzotto. And Dan Silvestri. From SpyMovieNavigator.com. We hope you've enjoyed us cracking the code of Funeral in Berlin. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. So thanks for listening. We appreciate it.